The Performance Lab podcast would like to acknowledge that the land on which we learn and work is the land of the Lenape, Wappinger, and Muncie people. The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College, after which we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us, but how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration. Reflect on past performances slash projects. And keep us up to date on what is next. Stay tuned for the Performance Lab Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Performance Lab Podcast. My name is Chanel Blanchett, and I'm a second year grad here at Sarah Lawrence. And my name is Andrew Delvecchio, and I'm a first year grad here at Sarah Lawrence. Uh, we are very lucky today to be joined by the designer and director, Carlos Soto. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, we just had a wonderful seminar with you. So if we could just start this off by asking, uh, could you talk to everyone about the seminar you just had in Grad Lab? Yeah, so I um, somehow this year having nothing else to do, I've done a, a few seminars, uh, which has been great because I rarely have the drive to think about process or about craft or whatever. So it's sort of it's sort of fun to to give other people advice or to to kind of I don't know, to sort of take take what I do into some kind of context that I never take the time to reflect on. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the the seminar that you led and one of the questions I have after that is you were talking a lot about building the skeleton of a piece, finding the structure and the form before kind of the, the content itself. And I was wondering, what is the most exciting part for you? Is it that building of the skeleton or is it like, as you were saying, the, the building of the muscle and the, the skin that comes after it? Like, what do you find the most exciting part of, of the process for you? There's two things. In, in a way, it's sort of like, it's a little bit like how when you have a fever, like the, you have to it has to get super hot and super uncomfortable and then you get better. One is, one is coming to the realization of what the form is. The filling in of the form is the anxiety inducing part because you're just kind of grasping at straws and the exploratory period is kind of nice, but still a little fraught. The fun thing is throwing everything away. The great, cause then you, you really arrive at an, at, a, at an essential, uh, kind of kernel of what it is you want to do. Uh, so the purge is the, <laughs> is the great part. <laughs> Building the structure so that you can like smash the skeleton and be like, cool. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, you, you have to kind of, um, it's like rules are meant to be broken. You know, you, you amass stuff just to get rid of it. And that's, that's the constant. I mean, every project is different, but that just seems to be the constant. It's really relieving when you can. <laughs> Uh, one of the most fascinating things was seeing your work as a theatrical artist, but also working with a musical artist who tours. Uh, something I'd love to hear about is what are some of the similarities and differences between the two mediums? Uh, the biggest difference is the time scale. Um, so right now I'm working on an opera that's premiering next October. And I think I had the first meeting for it in October, 2019. Uh, sometimes musicians, you know, you get a call, can you get on a plane tomorrow? 
we're doing a show on Friday uh, for 20,000 people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think that the, there's a, a big discrepancy between um, the amount of time that's allotted. Uh, the similarities are actually quite, quite, uh, quite vast, but I think it's, it's yeah, you, you have to take it, it you have to take the amount of time that you get to invest in it into consideration. Now, like sometimes uh, you don't realize what you're doing until after it's done. So you're kind of, it's kind of, a, it's a fun way of working because you, you're, you don't have the time to consider some things. It's a really strange statement, um, but you're working kind of instinctively because you have to kind of just get it done. Uh, and after the fact, you sort of realize what, what's taken place. Like I broke down that Fallon performance in a way that none of us were aware of it as we were doing it. It was watching it on a screen backstage going, oh, that's what it is. It's these three layers and they're all happening. And none of that was considered while we were doing it. It was like, okay, we, let's get the dancers. <laughs> let's get the lights. Where are you standing? Okay, let's do it. Yeah. I'm curious kind of thinking about work that you've done with Solange is, I was really interested in um, Metatronia or Metron's Cube, Metatron's Cube. And mm -hmm. can you speak a little about associate directing that? Cause I, I was really struck by the imagery and I'm curious as to how all those parts came together because it was also a partnership with Uniqlo and it looks like it's part performance piece, part installation. How did that all come together? Yeah, that was a, uh... That was another one of those. That one was sort of started, we started working remotely on it. It was, I still don't know what my contribution was to that piece, except I think probably one of the few times that I ever played Dramaturg, because it was, we took some existing choreography. Uh, she had worked with Gerard and Kelly, Brennan Gerard and Ryan Kelly, who are um, from the States, but live in Paris on her Saturday Night Live appearance right after A Seat at the Table came out. Um, and she has a, a, a strong affinity, I think, with um, contemporary dance, uh, certainly with like Trisha Brown Company and the kind of downtown theater scene uh, in general. And we, she's gravitated to working with them a lot. I'm trying to figure out what what to say or how to say it that it, it doesn't sound you know it's a it's a it's a little, sort of like yeah. revealing intimate intimate details of a relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were we were you know we were taking pre-existing choreographies and taking them out of context. You know these were all kind of site-specific works that they had um, created uh, as part of a series called Modern Living. Uh, where they were kind of querying modernist spaces or modernist domestic spaces. So the, um, the glass house in, um, in New Haven, uh, the uh, Le Corbusier, I can't remember, it's a villa right outside of Paris, um, or the, the Schindler House in Los Angeles. Uh, and so these, these were being placed within uh, an architecture that she had devised um, and within a landscape surrounding it. Quickly remind me where we were going with this. <laughs> well, I was just kind of wondering like what kind of associate directing that meant. Cause I think that right. 
I looking at kind of the the description on paper and then the the product I'm kind of for me my idea of directing is so narrow in the theatrical sense yeah no I think I think this this piece in particular it was I was liaising a lot between her and the dance team and the art direction I was kind of flitting about like like Mercury because <laughs> um, we were doing it on a very very tight time frame the location kept shifting we had secured a location uh north of los angeles the night before the set was supposed to be installed uh they had a freak um drop in temperature so the ground was frozen so we couldn't lay a foundation and build this structure there. So we had to find another location. So we had to extend the shoot by another day to scout a new location. We secured a new location, the thing was installed. We got there with her. She goes, this is facing in the wrong direction. This, we can't look at that. So it was guiding, kind of guiding through options of, we can use uh, post-production. We can use some, um, magic which is something she's generally opposed to she really believes in like the you know performance art feeling that if it's not going to be real blood don't don't have it right um and then sort of going through the sequences and figuring out where these dances can go in the space and how they can be how they how they can be approached graphically I think there are a lot of shots that are shot from a crane from above. So uh, it was all sort of tricky. Um, and I think we storyboarded it as much as we could, but I think, you know, once we finally got there, it was also then kind of going on the fly. Yeah. And crazy discussions like, do we have a ceiling? Do we not have a ceiling? <laughs> it, I mean, it seems like in, in the project, this project, but also what you were talking about in class that you direct, you design, you perform, you you wear a lot of hats, which sounds very familiar to SLC students. We're all wearing a lot of hats. And so I'm I'm curious kind of how do you how do you choose which projects get which hat? Or like how do you make the headspace for multiple hats, like multiple right. tracks in one project? I mean I think that gets uh, thankfully chosen for me. So I get approached to do a specific thing. Uh, once I'm in there, then that's sort of where it becomes a conscious choice to put this head on or you know, layer one on top of the other. Um, I think I'm lucky to work with a lot of people that I know very well. So there aren't very many clashes. I mean, sometimes there are, but you know, I, 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 I guess I sort of became this, this, this polymath by wanting to, to follow a certain track in my life. And when I was younger, I wanted to be a, a writer and then that naturally became uh, that I wanted to be a director. And at the age I was starting to work in theater, which is like 17 or 18, um, I clearly wasn't gonna start creating work off the bat. Um, but I wanted to, there were some things, there were some like lacks that I, that I could identify working with other people. And one of them was communication or the lack of communication or the complication of communication. 
and I, I love to say this because it's true, it's like, you know, the director is supposed to be the person that can communicate the most clearly and they never are. And so I wanted to understand other departments and I wanted to understand other, um, other crafts, other art forms to be able to identify what it is I want, but also to be able to communicate with the people in those departments. So I learned to make costumes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a born autodidact. I get obsessed with something and then I sort of dive into it and do it. Um, that's to say that I sort of wanted to understand the whole, to understand theater in a holistic way or to understand performance in a holistic way. And I'm lucky that I'm able to pull back and go in one, in one way or another way. Directing is tricky. It's the part I kind of like, but dislike the most. It has the, it has the greatest emotional investment for the least payoff sometimes. So it's, it's the right project has to, has to do it. You know, I, I don't chase after it. <laughs> but I think at the same time, also designing some things, it, it's helpful to understand a performer's point of view or even to understand, um, even as a scene designer to have a, a director's hat on to understand how a thing, how a thing works or how, how, how images progress, how, how sequence happens, you know. You had mentioned wearing uh, a bunch of different hats and uh, a word that kind of stuck out to me is you said it was the first time you worked as, uh, as a dramaturg in somewhat or in some form. Uh, and you mentioned it a couple times in our grad lab as well, uh, that designers sometimes end up working kind of as dramaturgs. What do you think the importance of dramaturgy is specifically to a designer? Um, it's the way that I've, you know, I've been having this conversation a lot recently because uh, so much of the communication right now is in the same way. You know, we're all sitting on a screen. We're not sitting in a room together and you have to talk about things, which is like the most ridiculous thing to talk about visual things. But design is kind of a shorthand for things that you can't really approach theatrically or that you can't, um, that are kind of intangible. And most recently I was thinking about it in terms of like a costume. I'm designing this opera next year. and was having a conversation with the director about one of the characters and how she should be dressed. Uh, and, you know, looking at the libretto, there's a kind of, vagueness about who she is in the beginning when she first appears and her identity is slowly arrived at throughout the work. And she, and she was of the mind that this character should be from the beginning, this very clear figure. And I thought, well, if, if, if the, this other character is supposed to not identify her, why should we identify her as an audience? You know, we, we're the surrogate for the other characters view in a way of their, or their, or their worldview. So that's, that's the, that's the collaboration the audience and the designers have. It's, it's filling in a lot of blanks that aren't, aren't, aren't immediately obvious and manipulating, manipulating the way something is viewed. Speaking of costume design um, or clothing design, I was looking at um, the work that you did on Pearl Noir, Meditations for Josephine. Um, and I'm a massive Josephine Baker fan. And I feel like uh, in public discourse, a lot of the images we see 
of her arm, like of the banana skirt, and maybe sometimes like the French resistance uniform. But you were talking previously about this, this opera project you're currently working on, on identifying the character. And so I'm, I'm curious when you're designing something that has a historical figure, what, what was your approach to designing that? Was it the, the period, like adapting the, the period? Was it capturing the essence of the person? How do you approach that as a designer? That, I mean, that particular piece was one of the conversations that we kept having. And it's also kind of a complicated piece because the version that we did at the Metropolitan Museum is directed by one person. It was developed by another person. So Peter Sellers was the original creator of the piece. Uh, and Zach Lineker took it on for that engagement and kind of further developed it. It's a piece that's been going, sort of been in development for a number of years. And in fact, this past spring, we were supposed to do it with Peter at the Chatelet in Paris until it was postponed until next year. Uh, and Peter sort of is then taking up from where Zach left off. So one of the conversations we had back and forth was, are we looking at Josephine or are we looking at Julia Bullock? And we thought it was important that it has to be Julia um, because otherwise, I think the portrait that we wanted to create of Josephine Baker was such that we didn't want to dramatize it in a way. Like it, it would belittle it to pretend to be Josephine Baker rather than to have a living person embodying the power of Josephine Baker. I don't, it's, 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 it's very limiting to, to, to speak about it in a way. So that we didn't want sequins, we didn't want feathers, we didn't want all of that. We knew that we wanted skin because uh, Julia thought it was very important that she, that she bare her breasts because so much of it was also about the vulnerability of the, the, the unprotected nude body on the stage. Uh, and you know, the question of uh, presentation versus objectification. You know. But in general, I think it, dep it depends on what you want to do with, 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 the, with, with the figure. You know, like when we did Einstein on the beach, like obviously you have to have Einstein. And I think to abstract it wouldn't work. So it's, it's always this, this, this tug between how far you can abstract something or do you want to be completely literal? And it depends on who the person is. I mean, one of the things about, I mean, speaking of abstraction, the, the, the beauty of a work like Einstein on the Beach is that they chose a subject that you didn't have to elaborate on because everybody knows who Einstein is. So you don't have to retell the story of Einstein. You can do whatever you want. So it's dealing with um, kind of collective knowledge, collective memory and understanding that an audience is coming into a space with a certain level of history. I mean, obviously, you know, some people won't. It's expecting a lot of an audience, but to play on these kind of icons, whether it be known people or simply, you know, our historical things, or period things. I love hearing about all the different mediums and directions you've come at things. And then uh, I believe Chanel mentioned earlier that speaks volumes to artists, especially here at Sarah Lawrence. Um, having to be into interdisciplinary. I would love to hear how you feel like your experience has um, positively affected you as an artist because you've worked as a designer and a director, but you said that your degree is in art history, I believe. Not a degree. I went, I took oh. some classes at Pratt, got bored. <laughs> <laughs> love that. 
So how do you think your unique view and experience affects you positively as an artist? I think just going off of that kind of weird education I have and being, and being a total autodidact and sort of going at things to dissect them in a way. No, I think, you know, a lot of it is this kind of thing of, I never learned the limits and I never learned the, the rules. So everything is, the downside is that every project I do just feels like it's the first time I'm doing a project, even though it's not. But the beauty of it is trying, is, is learning to go about it a different way. Cause like I said in the seminar, I think I, I start everything by just trying to figure out how, what's the least obvious way to do things. So I think I, I think this kind of weird, weird learning process for me just instills this, this, this curiosity about, about material and a curiosity about what it is I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I don't know. That's, it's a really weird, weirdly worded answer. I think it's, it's something I, I don't, I don't think I've thought about. Hey, I'm so curious as to what do you think has changed the most about your process or your aesthetic from your early projects to now with this idea of constantly being curious and constantly learning? Well, you know, it's the things you pick up along the way that make it easier to, they just make it easier to approach things. I mean, I, I love rules. I love, um, I love, I mean, like I, like I think in the workshop, we just did you know, sort of arbitrary things that help you come to decisions. Um, and it's picking up a lot of those things or relying on some. The danger is also you rely on some things that work and you, you just you know, go on from there. And I think that's something all artists do. Uh, but sometimes things just work, you know, and if it's not broken, there's no reason to fix it. But at the same time, part of the, of the originating question you ask yourself when developing something is, you know, can that work this time? Carlos, thank you so much for doing this interview with us. Um, I would love to take the last couple minutes to see, I know you mentioned you're working on an opera right now. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to expand on or point people towards or promote that people can see? Uh, well, one, I hope it happens. <laughs> uh, it's uh, a new work at Houston Grand Opera um, by Jake Heggie and Jean Shear, uh, who previously did uh, Dead Man Walking which is an adaptation of the, the Sean Penn film. Um, and it's being directed by Jaole Zolar, uh, who's the founder uh, and director of the Urban Bush Women. Um, and coincidentally, this will be the first time, I think, you know, a major opera production will be directed by a black woman ever in history, which is kind of a really amazing thing. And also like a really sad, a really sad realization because like it's about time. Um, uh, and it's, uh, it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't really tell you what it's about. Um, but the premiere is October 2021 with lots of crossed fingers. Great. Well, we will definitely be keeping an eye out for that. Carlos, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It was so wonderful to speak with you. It was really great. You guys asked us great questions. I'm stumped. <laughs> <laughs> You're so thoughtful. You just, you give such thoughtful answers to questions. Oh, I hope so. You accomplished it. So good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network in association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.slctheater.com.